This chapter is probably, uh, he's summing the whole book up. And uh, Hebrews 13 is uh, sort of unrelated to the first 12 chapters. He just basically gives a bunch of commands, short one-verse commands. So this chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, is the whole book in one chapter. Hebrews, uh, and so he sums everything up in this chapter. So I'll start reading verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, so that can be looked at two ways, that word witnesses, that can either be the uh, people that he's mentioned in chapter 11, the, the heroes of the faith, or it can be everybody that's died up in heaven watching us, uh, in which I tend to like the second view. And uh, we're surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And uh, so it seems like that would be what would be happening at the time he was writing this rather than uh, referring to those that had gone on before as examples, using the word witness and more as, an, a, an, a, as a model for us to follow uh, that were written about. This would be people that were actually paying attention. So that's why I don't uh, wear gloves when I work because I figured my dad's watching and I don't want to ruin his day and uh, think that he raised a son that didn't, wasn't tough. And so uh, I don't put cream in my coffee because I'm pretty sure dad's watching. And again, he would laugh in heaven and uh, about what I was doing. So I sort of lived, when I was a kid in high school, there was nobody on the planet I wanted to please more than my dad. And uh, so even though he's been dead about 20 years, I still have this desire to please him and to impress him with what I do, especially when I fish. (laughs) So I'm always thinking he's watching. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, like uh, we're in a football field and there's all these people all around, let us lay aside every encumbrance. Uh, That's not sin. That's just things that use up our time. And the sin would so easily entangle us, that is sin. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance, that's a marathon, uh, to the finish line, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy would be probably the fact that I was going to live in heaven with him. You as well. He's thinking about what he's accomplishing as he went to the cross. And so the goal of the cross, the result of the cross, is what the joy was that was before him. And because of that joy, uh, what would happen? He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, think about Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And that's the theme of the book. Don't grow weary, don't lose heart, run the race with endurance. You have not yet resisted the point of shedding, blood, of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? My dad spanked me once in my entire life, I remember uh, I kind of lipped off to a, wait, a wait, waiter at a table that we were at. Um, and uh, so that didn't go over too well with Dad. My mom spanked me about 10,000 times, and she always sent me out to cut my own switch. And so there was this one particular bush I got it off of because it was kind of brittle. 
and uh, so he couldn't couldn't hit real hard. He scourges God every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. So if things are going cool, it might be that you're not a child of God. Uh, I don't spank other people's kids. Uh, in fact, I don't spank any kids now. My kids are all gone. I don't spank my grandchildren. I just spoil them and send them home. Works good that way. Uh, illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. He, God, disciplines us for our good so, so that we may share his holiness. And so that's the goal. God uh, is working everything that he does is making us like Christ in character. And he wants us to be like him so that when we get there, we will enjoy him and he will enjoy us. And he is not going to zap us and fix us when we get into heaven. What we are when we're done with this life is what we are. And so we want to grow as rapidly as we possibly can. As the writer said, let us press on to maturity. And so he's helping us by disciplining us, by making life tough so that we grow rapidly. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The word train, when I talk about uh, in leadership class and other times, I say one of the things that we don't want to do as believers as we press on to maturity is try harder. Uh, That doesn't change anything. What we want to do is to train. Um, and so we train ourselves like we would if we were running a marathon or if we were playing baseball or basketball. We understand that we don't go from being uh, no good to very good simply by uh, gritting our teeth and clenching our fists and just trying. Uh, We train, and so we get better little bit by little bit by faithfully training ourselves. And so he trains us. Uh, God is always training us to move us towards Christ-like character. It says it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak. That means everybody around you that you see going through trials. Uh, nobody, uh, we don't all go through them at the same time. And so that's by design so that when Frank goes through them, I can help him. And when I go through them, he can help me. And when Bill goes through them, I can pray for him. And when I go through them, he can pray for me. And so we encourage one another. We help one another. We pray for one another. So we get through the difficult times together. Uh, Strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one come short of the grace of God. Come short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind. That was the old covenant, Mount Sinai, when Moses got the Ten Commandments. And to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. And so if you've read, uh, if you're up to schedule, you've read Exodus and uh, 
the section there where Paul, uh, Moses went up on the mountain twice and that whole ordeal with God. Uh, but instead you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So here's who will be uh, in eternity. Myriads of angels. Myriads means too many to count. To the general assembly. And that could be Old Testament saints uh, it, before the nation of Israel. That would be like people like Noah and all those dudes in the Old Testament. The general assembly and church of the firstborn. That's us. Uh, we are the church, the bride of the firstborn. That's Jesus who are enrolled in heaven. And to God the judge and of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Spirits of the righteous made perfect. Uh, don't know exactly who that is. It could be those who get saved during the tribulation. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkling, sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heaven. And that would be when he comes and establishes his kingdom. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom, and the kingdom is one of the major themes to the book of Hebrews, which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. All right, that's almost 30 verses. And uh, so we'll hurry right along, see if we can get it, get it covered. Number one, life is a marathon. If we expect to finish, we, well, we must endure. Life is a marathon. I ran uh, 12 marathons in my running career. And uh, in every single one of them at mile 22, mile 20 to 22, uh, I had the experience that most marathoners have, and that is is called hitting the wall. And uh, it's at a point where you've used up all your uh, uh, energy that's in your blood, your blood sugar, and uh, you've used all that that's stored in your liver, and you've used all that that's stored in your muscle. And so your body shifts gears. You move from blood sugar, all gone, to that which is stored in your liver, all gone, to that which is stored in your muscles, all gone. And at that point, your body needs to start converting body fat into energy. Well, that, the, the first three shifts when you're running a long distance, you can kind of feel when that happens. There's just a little bit of a lull where you are, I think you're all out of gas. Well, the first shift takes just about a minute or less the second one takes a little bit longer, but the, the one where you go from everything gone and your body starts converting body fat into energy takes uh, uh, several minutes for that conversion to take place. And while that's happening, your brain is in self-preservation mode and it starts screaming at you. You're killing me. You're killing me. Stop, you fool. What are you doing? And it's this really, really loud uh, body uh, self-talk that's going on in your head. And you have uh, no energy and uh, your body, your brain, everything in you is screaming at you to stop. And so it's a, it's a, a weird experience. And so how do you get through that? 
you know it's going to happen. And you know that even though your body says you're dying, you're not going to die. You realize that. And so you recognize you simply have to persevere for, oh, three minutes, maybe a little longer sometimes, and then it's over and the, the, the shift has taken place and you just cruise right along. Uh, but mile 20 to mile 22 uh, was a near-death experience at every half marathon that I ran. It didn't make any difference how well I trained. It was still um, difficult, get difficult two miles. But I knew when I started, it would happen. And I knew when it happened that I would have this, all this thinking and that I just needed to persevere for two miles and then it would be over and I would cruise across the finish line. And so... In life, we have those. The, the, the difference is that when we live our life, we have these hit-the-wall experiences like once a week. <laughs> we run out of gas, we get tired, we get discouraged, we get depressed, things happen, and, uh, and so we persevere. We run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance, and so if you're going to run a race, you don't typically have a 50-pound pack on your back. Uh, it will make it really difficult if you do. And uh, so you get rid of the encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And uh, so it's a, all the way to the finish line. All the way to the finish line. I had lunch with some pastors today, and uh, several of them we, we were sharing our greatest struggle and our greatest victory uh, immediately going on now and or the thing we're looking forward to in the summer. And several were talking about transitions where they're going to retire. And uh, one guy, a little bit younger than me, said he's just so tired. He can't wait uh, till when he gets to retire. And uh, then he glanced over at me like I was a fool. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, I'm going to go on a 2,000-mile bicycle ride in a couple of weeks. And then he really looked at me like I was a fool. But uh, number two, you know, it's a major factor in the lack of endurance and falling away is worldliness. Worldliness is being entangled in the world. Uh, We own it and it owns us. It uses up our time. It uses up our energy. It uses up our money. It uses up our emotional energy. It uses up much of our life. So... Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 4, no soldier in active service. Active service, that means you're doing something for God that matters. Entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. So every time I read that, I think, Lord, it would have been nice if you could have given me a little bit more detail. So am I entangled in the affairs of everyday life? I've got a car, two cars, and a pickup, and four boats. Man, I sound like I could be. Uh, but I don't know. Um, don't entangle yourself in the affairs of everyday life so that you may please the one who enlisted you as a soldier. A soldier is someone who's serving him, doing his work, doing his will. Second Peter 2.20, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, that is all the stuff in the world, and are overcome, the last state has become worse than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. And so uh, 
we're all pigs. We can just oink at each other. <laughs> um, so don't get in, 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 entangled in the affairs of everyday, everyday life and then return to the defilements of the world. First John 2.15, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in. To love the world simply means that you depend on it for security, for joy, for peace. Uh, and if that's the case, then the love of the Father is not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. The world is passing away, and it's lust. The one who does the will of God lives forever. James 4, 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. An enemy of God, uh, if you're a friend of the world. And again, it's like, oh man, I wish there was a little bit more detail there. Sort of a checklist, a yes-no questionnaire. Uh, if I was 50 above, I was good. If 50 below, I was uh, bad. So it's just a self-examination thing, a reflection thing. And I would suspect for some it uh, can handle a bit more than others in the sense of how much they own, uh, owning them, controlling them. Number three, once we are genuinely saved, we can't lose our salvation. But if we aren't really saved, we will fall away. And so running the race with endurance is the key part of sort of proving that indeed we're saved. Hebrews 2, 1, For this reason we must, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? after it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if, if, if we hold fast our, con- our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hebrews three twelve. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Falls away from the living God, but encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold fast the beginning or assurance firm until the end. So if we talk about uh, eternal security, that is you're saved, you're secure, and, uh, or we can lose our salvation from God's perspective, as he looks at us and sees our heart, he knows. And if we are saved, we are saved. The problem is, is that from our perspective, our heart is desperately wicked and it's really, really difficult to know. And so there are lots of people running around the planet that think they're Christians and are not. Uh, they didn't have a genuine born-again experience. They didn't hear the gospel. What they think is the Christian isn't. Uh, and so one of the things that we just need to be really uh, sure on is, am I really born again in the family of God, headed for heaven? And so if there's ever a time when you lapse, uh, it may be just a, a lapse, but it... Uh, if I were to backslide, uh, go on my bicycle trip, and while I'm on that bicycle trip, quit reading my Bible, quit praying, decide I don't like you, and I don't want to be a pastor, uh, 
I came to my senses, I would pray through that prayer I wrote all over again. I probably was a Christian all along, but I'm going to be sure because I don't want to get to the end of the race and stand before Jesus and say, what's your name? Huh, it's not in the book. Sorry. That's going to be a sad thing for a lot of people to hear. So I want to make sure anytime there's any kind of lapse, I'm going to uh, re-enlist, as it were. I'm going to sign up again to make sure it's good. First John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. Matthew 24.11, many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Revelations 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about, ca- about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful in- until death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. I think I told you this story, but when I was on my motorcycle trip uh, buzzing around, uh, hitting all lower 48 states, 9,000 miles in 30 days, and uh, having never ridden a motorcycle prior to that, learning on the route about three days before I was due to finish, I had a really close call of uh, having a major crash on my bike. And after I got everything righted and was in my lane, I pulled off the road and went over and sat on a stump. And I said, Lord, I'm awful close to the end to crash now so would you help me so i can get home without killing myself uh if that'd be your will i'd sure love that so i say that a lot now i think man i'm 70 i'm close to the finish line don't crash now if you hit the wall keep on going another another major factor number four uh, about second timothy four seven paul I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. He wrote this probably about two weeks before he had his head cut off by Nero. And so he confidently said, I finished. Crossing the finish line. Number four, another major factor in the lack of endurance is weariness and discouragement in the face of trials. So what makes this one uh, bad is our bad theology in our country. And so often when people are uh, introduced to the gospel, the line that was used by several is, Jesus uh, has a wonderful plan for your life. So trust Jesus, follow him. He has a wonderful plan for your life, uh, implying that uh, from now on things will be cool and comfortable and he will eliminate, eliminate all of your problems and... Uh, your marriage will be great and your kids will turn out super and your mother-in-law will do what you tell her to. And uh, so people become believers in Jesus and along the line they experience a whole bunch of trials because God is trying to develop their character and they become, uh, well, what is this? How can a God who loves me do these things? And so they become disenchanted with their faith. And uh, But a person who becomes a believer because they want a comfortable life probably uh, trusted a false gospel. And so I'm trusting Christ not to have a good life, but to live in heaven forever. How bad this life is doesn't matter. How hard this life is doesn't matter. 
because it's going to be over and then I enter into glory. And one of the things that Peter implies is the harder your life is here, the better it's going to be there. And uh, so if you have it too easy here, you might not have it as good there. And so you ought to say, okay, Lord, come on, come on, pour it on, give me a little bit more, I can take it. Um, Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him, so we think about what's before us, and that's heaven. And it's coming and it's getting a day closer every day. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, day closer every day, set before us. Uh, he dis- endured the cross, despised the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what we're going to do. For consider him, think about him, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In the worst trial, you rejoice and you say, Thank you, Lord, I'm going to heaven. And you're granting me the strength to be able to get through this. James 1, 2, Consider it all joy, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing, knowing, if your theology is correct, then you can endure. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect. That means your character, you're like Christ. And that's what life is about. Matthew five twelve. Rejoice and be glad. That is when you're persecuted. For your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James 1, 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Revelations 2.10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Uh, Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested. You will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. little review, the Greek word for overcome. Huh? Nike, Nike shoes, Nike'o. And it means champion, winner, uh, overcomer. Romans eight seventeen. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. Ah, look at there. If you're an heir of Christ, you will suffer with him. If you don't suffer, then you're probably not an heir of Christ. So that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so that was Paul's attitude. Uh, these trials are a piece of cake. Uh, no big deal. Not even worthy to be compared with what we'll receive when we get to heaven. Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted. That makes it sound like it's a great favor, blessing. It's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. But also to suffer. Second Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5, this is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy, worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. Worthy. So we're saved by grace without works, but once we're saved, God wants to make us worthy, uh, make us like Christ uh, in character so that we can enjoy heaven and he can enjoy uh, us. And so we become worthy of the kingdom by the trials that we go through. First Peter 4, 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. That means I'm going to suffer. Not if, it's just when. 
And so arm yourself with that purpose that I'm going to suffer. I'm a believer in Jesus and he will take me through suffering. The cool thing is it isn't all, all the time. It's just seasons and chapters. And so if things are going really nice now, you just say, enjoy it while it lasts. Because it could be tomorrow uh, that I uh, enter into a major trial. And when I do, I'm not going to fuss and complain and whine. I'm going to rejoice because Christ knows what he's doing, making me like himself in character. Arm yourself with the same purpose because he was suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Number five, a key to finishing the race is to keep your eyes on the finish line. That is eternity in the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to stand before Jesus and I want, I want, I want more than anything else in life to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'd like to hear more than uh, come in. Uh, that's going to be sort of the bottom line. Yeah, you're in. I'd like to have him say, wow, Steve, you're here. Good to see you. You did super. You think Jesus will say super, Bill? Yeah. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind, set your mind, that means think about most of the time on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Philippians 3, 20, our citizenship is in heaven, in which also we eagerly wait for a savior. Eagerly wait. Uh, be an interesting question, just do a little survey and, Ask people to give a really, really honest answer and say, the last six hours, how much of your time have you thought about eternity, heaven, going there? Uh, probably the average individual hasn't entered their brain one time. And uh, those who set their mind on the things above uh, and think a lot, eagerly awaiting Jesus coming, uh, they're the ones that endure well. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state. You know what that word means, humble state? That means ugly and wimpy. Yeah, humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. In other words, we go from what we have to the body of Jesus, just like Christ. By the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. With the body of his glory. With the body of his glory, I get a body like Jesus. And I'll be able to think, think. I forget things now. Sometimes I try to remember somebody's name and it's just like there's this mental barrier there. And, uh, and sometimes when I try to write, I get to a point and it's like my brain's empty. And uh, I re- recognize I, I get mentally tired, so I have to rest a little bit if I'm going to write some more, read some more. And I think, it'd sure be nice to get into heaven and have a brain like Jesus. I'll be able to think like he thinks to know what he knows. Second Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. Here's certain little phrases, you know, it'd be probably good just to say all day long. The judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. I must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, rewarded, for his deeds, his work, the things he's done in this life, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Six, a key reward to set our eyes on is sitting on a throne with Jesus. 
So the disciples argued over who was going to sit at the right and left hand of Jesus. And he said, uh, it's not mine to give at this point. And he didn't deny that there would be someone. And uh, that's a reward, a special, special place for some who have run the race well and have served well. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Matthew nineteen twenty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me, you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Revelations 3.21, he who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who Nike, Nikeo, wins, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that isn't going to be all believers. Just a special award, reward for those who have followed him and served him well. Uh, They will be the overcomers and they will sit on a throne with him. And uh, I plan on that. That's my goal. And uh, Paul's going to sit right there at the right hand. And uh, maybe I'll be, maybe not, I'll be the uh, close. So that's my goal. Seven, much of the trials and hard times that we experience are actually caused by God as discipline to cause us to grow in character. I said that at a church in England and uh, actually it was in Scotland. It was right bordered England. And I went up into Scotland and spoke at this church. And I had the whole church uh, on my case after the service. This one, I couldn't hardly understand them. Their word was so strong. It was like, did you really say that God caused pain in my life? I said, yeah, I actually said it three or four times. And they ranted and raved and carried on about it. And I didn't debate because I couldn't understand most of what they said and I didn't think it was going to do any good. But I could tell they really didn't like that idea. Uh, Hebrews 12.5, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Discipline of the Lord. And so I think anybody can figure out that is from the Lord. In fact, uh, discipline of the Lord he does it, nor faint when you are reproved by him, by him, that means he does it. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he does it, and he scourges, scourges, wow, does that sound like fun? He scourges every son whom he receives, that's me, that's you. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you are illegitimate children, not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. We respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Cosmetics. What's the goal of Cosmetics. Huh? To take somebody ugly and make them beautiful. If I can state it to the extreme. 
comes from the Greek word cosmos, where we get the word world. And so cosmetics means to order like God did the world, where it says in Genesis 1, where he made the world beautiful. Cosmology is the theology that asks the question, what's the purpose of life? Why do the things that happen, happen? Are they random, arbitrary, or is there some purpose behind everything that happens? It's cosmology. And so God, when he created Adam, could do no better. Adam was the maximum of God's ability to create. If he could have done better, he would have. Any created being is less than God by the very fact that it's created. Character can't be created, not even with Jesus. Uh, he went through life, if you read, remember Hebrews, where it says that he grew in character by the things which he suffered. The Father made him perfect as a man in this life by the things that he suffered. And so he created a being, you and I, in his image, capable of growing in character, becoming like him in character. But that required then a, a world in which he created perfect as a greenhouse for maximum growth in character for the time that we would be here. It's very much like being in our mother's womb. For nine months we grew so that we could live in this world. And so this life is like that in that we're being prepared for eternity with Christ. But the essence of what God's doing, creating us, is beings that will love him and fellowship with him and be part of his family. And so in order for that to happen, uh, we had to be given free will. Otherwise, it wouldn't be real love. It would be just another angel that's programmed to do what God commands him to do. And so the father knew that uh, with that free will, there would be rebellion and sin. And so he created everything to make us like himself, even planned ahead for the death of Jesus to take care of our sin. That would inevitably happen. But the whole thing was designed by God to develop us into the image of Christ. God causes all things to work together for good, good being character like Christ, not comfort. I hear people quote that all the time. Uh, oh, there it is, Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, 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 good. It means character like Christ. God causes. He does it. He makes it happen. Uh, if you don't like that, uh, then you can say it, he allows it to happen. But one way or the other, he is the orchestrator of it. Uh, when he said to Satan, you can touch my servant Job, just don't kill him. You might say, well, God didn't do it. Uh, well, he may not have done it, but he certainly allowed it. Hebrews twelve thirteen. therefore strengthen the hands that are weak. Oh, let's see, number eight, excuse me. Am I confusing you, Katie? Number eight, the way to grow rapidly in character during trials and to maintain a positive attitude is with the help of others. So God not, did not create us capable of getting through trials uh, on our own. He made us so that we have to have help. Uh, we are the body of Christ, and the more we help, the more we give, the more we will receive. And, uh, and so as we've been put together in such a way that we give and receive grace Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak, the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may, be, may not be put out of joint but be healed. 
Hebrews 3.13, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another every day, every day, every day. Hebrews 10.24, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so that admonition is repeated six times in the book of Hebrews. Number nine, pursuing peace with anybody and everybody that has a problem with us or with, uh, with us or us with them is a tremendous exercise for personal character growth. I was involved in some counseling this week between some individuals that were not getting along. And uh, I kept hearing this uh, what's right, what's fair uh, kind of statement. And so I said, this isn't an issue of what's right, what's fair. This is an issue of you growing in character. And what grows you in character is you laying down your rights and being humble for the sake of peace and unity with the brother. And that causes you to grow. When you get to heaven, that's what will matter. Anything short of that is temporary. You may get what is your right. You may get what's fair, but that really doesn't matter. What matters is that you become like Christ in character. I don't know as I ever got the point across. They still wanted their rights. Number nine, pursuing uh, uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. What's sanctification? You become holy like Christ. So they go together. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So there's sort of a minimum sanctification level required and pursuing peace with other people is what will make it happen. Psalm 34, 14, depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. Romans 14, 19, so then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. <clears throat> Number 10, bitterness totally fouls up the program and plan of God to grow our character. I wired uh, my son's house that we built about 10 years ago here in Jefferson and uh, I ran the wire all through the house and there were plug-ins and then wires was, came out to the panel box and when we got it all done, I didn't know which wires at the panel box went to which plug because I hadn't labeled anything. I didn't think about it until I got to the point of putting the breakers in. Uh, and so uh, what we did is we just uh, hooked them up and stuck a screwdriver in there and shorted it out and seen which one flipped. Okay, that one went there. Uh, may not be kosher, but it worked. There were a lot of sparks and, and some burned wires, but we eventually got it all figured out, got the right wires to the right breaker. Uh, bitterness uh, short circuits the whole program that God sets up. Again, we have free will. We can do what we want. When we get angry at God because of a trial in our life, that's bitterness towards him when we get angry at people because they violated our rights. That whole process, uh, we don't grow. In fact, we go backwards. And uh, we're born with that sense of fair play. We're born with that sense of my personal rights. And uh, so one of our goals with our kids was to teach them how to lay down their rights, to give them to God, identify what their rights were by when they got angry. 
uh, at one of their siblings because their right was violated and then say, okay, this is what you do when this happens. Not because it's right, but because it makes you grow and it promotes peace. Hebrews 12:15. see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up cause trouble by it many be defiled, many be defiled. 11, when it is all said and done, the most important discipline to faithfully practice in order to endure, to go rapidly is to be grateful to God for and about everything that happens in our life. So that's sort of the bottom line. You say thankful. You say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't understand, Lord. I don't understand, but thank you. I trust you. You are God. You are the one who causes it all to happen. Hebrews twelve eighteen. For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched into a blazing fire, to darkness and gloom and whirlwind, to the blast of a trumpet, to the sound of words which sound as was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you, you, us, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if those did not escape when they refused him who warned on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will, not, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom, we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let us show gratitude, that's the bottom line, no matter what happens. You catch a limited fish, thank you Lord, that was fun. Big storm comes and your boat tips over and you spend three hours in the water and have a near-death experience, thank you Lord, that was fun. You rejoice always. You consider it all joy. You thank the Lord every day for making you like himself because he wants to live with us. He wants to fellowship with us. And he will do whatever it takes to make us like himself so that we can have that uh, joyous experience in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. Life is a blink of an eye, a vapor that's here for a minute and gone. And so we ought to be able to put up with anything for the sake of being like him in eternity forever so you mentally prepare yourself to go through trials and brainwash yourself into doing it right and doing it well and grumbling about nothing and rejoicing always god will see to it that everything you need to grow is brought into your life but we have to cooperate with the process and the major main thing is to say i love you thank you you know what you're doing i trust you and then go with the flow. And we come out the other end like Christ, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love us. We can't comprehend how much you love us. You planned us. You created us. You want us to live with you in your presence, to be like you, to talk with you, to fellowship with you forever and ever. And you will do whatever it takes in this life to cause us to grow in character. I pray that each of us, as we go through trials tribulations, difficulties, 
will rejoice always. And Lord, look forward to the day that we see you face to face. We would eagerly await our Savior who's coming to take us to be with him and to have our new body. And we want to stand before you and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, as we live our life every single day, we do it with purpose and total dependence on you, following you, serving you, glorifying you in all that we say and do. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.